morning, everyone. All right, why don't we just uh, turn to your sides, and if you're at home, give, give whoever's sitting next to you a little high five or a wave and say hello to one another. I know everyone's wearing masks, so you can't really tell if they're smiling at you or if they're upset at you. And so, all right. So I have the great privilege of sharing the message with uh, us today. And we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. 4 through 9. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And so we have it up on the screen. And so if you don't have your Bibles, you guys can follow along from the screen. This is what the word of God says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. So today, um, I want to talk about families and discipleship, because I think families are so very important. And... I know that throughout this uh, coronavirus pandemic, a lot of us have been spending a lot of time with our families, whether we like it or not, you know, and some of us, we may like it and others, maybe not so much. And, you know, the DOE just said school is going to be delayed in, in starting. And so some of the parents are like, God, why? <laughs> but today I want to talk to you uh, about an epidemic that some of you guys may know of, uh, not to add to all that we're already struggling with, but I want to mention it because it's actually something that's more deadly than COVID-19. It's been around officially since 2005, and this epidemic is, it's used by this term to, to define it as Moralistic therapeutic deism. Has anybody heard of that term before? Okay, some of us. So let me explain to you um, what this is. Uh, first of all, in 2005, this term, moralistic therapeutic deism, was coined by two sociologists that wrote a book. And this book is called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And so in this book... Um, they did a study all across the U.S., and they were interviewing youth, and they were trying to figure out what it is that they believe in. And it was through this study that they termed this, this phrase or these, this word moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's a big word, but I want to break it down for us and help us to understand it. So the first word is moralistic. And what it means is this. It's about being a good person. Moral, right? We all know that word. So this moralistic, therapeutic deism, moralistic means you are trying to be a good person. Your aim in life is just to live a moral, good life. 
And the second word, therapeutic, is this. Means that the person will be a beneficiary of some sort of therapeutic or some kind of um, good feeling. So what this means is that the faith that this person has is not about repentance of sin. It's not about living in holiness. It's not about loving God and serving others, but it's merely about does it make me feel good? Am I happy in my life? Am I feeling secure? Am I at peace? And the last word, deism, I'm going to quote from the book. It's this. It's about belief in a particular kind of God, one who exists, created the world, and defines our general moral order, but one who is particularly personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs in which one would prefer not to have God involved. Most of the time, the God of this faith keeps a safe distance. So let me sum it up for us, okay? Moralistic therapeutic deism, what it is is it's the reality of the faith that many of our youth across this nation and probably across the world hold to. And what this belief is, if we, if we just simplify it in a nutshell, is this. Live as a good person. Make sure that your life is happy and good. And believe that there is this being, this, this divine being, but he's not going to really tell you what to do. You can just go to him whenever it's pleasant for you. Now, if we can't understand why this is dangerous... It's a big problem because simply this moralistic therapeutic deism is not biblical. It's not the teachings of Jesus. This is not what God has called us to do. This is not the type of life that God has called us to live. Living a life of following these beliefs of moralistic therapeutic deism may seem like we're putting our faith in Jesus, but it's far from it. The reason why I, I bring this up and the reason why I say that it's scarier than COVID-19 is because many of our youth, and not just our youth, they're living their lives, lives as if they believe that they're following Jesus, but they're actually very far from him. They actually don't know him at all. And for us as a church, as parents, as grandparents, as aunties and uncles, and even as single people, it should be alarming and heartbreaking if we know that this is the reality that our youth are living by. These are the beliefs that they hold on to and they, with all of their hearts, feel like, man, I'm following Jesus. See, the reality is this. We are experiencing a spiritual pandemic. Right now, we're living in a spiritual pandemic. If we can't understand that this is the, the, these are the youth of our now that are going to be leading into the future, and we don't do anything about this, we're going to see a lot more problems 
I want us to think about this. What if we found out that someone that we know, a family member, a loved one, a friend, became seriously ill? We would go to their house, we would visit them at the hospital, we would check up on them, and we would make sure that we could do whatever is in our power. Pray for them, support them, maybe raise money if, if they need um, money for a big surgery. And we're going to help them to, to recover to the best of our ability from this serious illness. Now, I know that we would do that, but when we come to our youth and we see them, and we can't see them outwardly with some kind of serious illness, but it's kind of underlying. But if we know that they're sick spiritually, none of us would just stand by and watch them live year after year, day after day, living their lives the way that they want. That wouldn't be loving. Now imagine in this church, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces, our own children. If they're spiritually sick, what are we doing about it? This makes me ask the question, and I hope it does for you too. It makes us ask the question, how are we discipling our children? And the next question is this, what type of disciple am I? This, this term, moralistic therapeutic deism, was, was coined to, in 2005, 15 years from now. But I believe that this type of living, these beliefs are still running rampant right now among our youth. Not just on the mainland, but right here in Hawaii. My prayer and my hope is that as we look at our passage today, we would come to recognize and realize that the only answer to this spiritual sickness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would understand that it is our responsibility as parents, as aunties and uncles, as grandparents, as friends of the family who believe in Jesus that we have to be disciples that are discipling this next generation. And it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that our lives will be transformed and also our children's lives will be transformed. I want to share with you guys two points today. My first point is this. Discipleship happens all the time. Now, many of you guys may know this verse. You know, it's a very popular uh, portion of scripture, but for anyone who doesn't know, I'll just kind of give you a brief, you know, background, okay? It's Moses. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel, and verses 4 and 5 is commonly known as the Shema, and the reason why we call it the Shema is because it takes the Hebrew word for hear, to, to hear, and it uses that to sum up all of the law, all of the commands of God into two commands, which is this. You shall worship God and him only. And secondly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. 
But I'm going to come to these two verses a little bit later. And today, or in this moment, I want to focus on verses 7 through 9. What verses 7 through 9 is telling us is this. Discipleship happens all the time. I don't know if you guys have children of your own, but you know that you're cooking something, you accidentally burn your finger, and you say a word that you shouldn't have said, and then your little one standing behind you didn't know it, and they just repeat it, right? Discipleship happens all the time. And so what the Bible is telling us today is it's giving us this principle of how we are to disciple our children, which it says in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. You shall teach them diligently. I want us to take notice of something here. The the word of God doesn't tell us that we should teach them perfectly. But it tells us that we should teach them diligently. When it uses the word diligently, it's, it's speaking of repetition. It's saying that you are to do it over and over. It's teaching our children intentionally, moment after moment, day after day, week after week, month after month, in our everyday life. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm honest with you, I am not the perfect parent. I'm far from it. And so when I read that the Bible doesn't tell me, you need to teach your kids perfectly, I'm like, oh, thank you. God, you know how messed up I am. But he says we are to teach them diligently. Now, my kids, if you were to interview them and interrogate them and ask them what type of parent I am, they would tell you. They not only know how messed up I am, but they have experienced some of my most depraved moments, right? And I'm not, I'm not up here saying that I'm perfect. I'm far from it. But if you guys are parents, you guys know your kids will bring out the worst in you. And so my, par- my, my kids, they've seen me in my worst moments. They've seen me mess up as a parent. And I know how difficult it is. So when I read this, that the Bible tells us that we are to teach them diligently, but not perfectly, it brings me hope. But there's the good and the bad, which is whether we like it or not, our children are learning from us. They're always watching us and hearing us, and they're learning every single moment that we're with them, whether we like it or not. And sometimes we wish that they weren't there listening to our conversation or they weren't there watching us as we made a mistake. But sometimes that's just the reality of life. They are learning from us. But this is the reason why raising a child is hard. And this is the reason why discipleship is even harder. So the passage here is telling us this. We are discipling our children all the time. Discipleship happens all the time. So that means that you don't need to have a platform where you're standing up here on a Sunday morning. Or you're not, just because you're not teaching a Sunday school class doesn't mean that you're not discipling. As parents, we have the, this very important role 
of discipleship. And we have to recognize that, you know, just because we're not up here on a Sunday morning doesn't mean that we don't have that influence. We have that great responsibility. We must know discipleship happens all the time. And so let's look at the specifics of what the passage tells us today. Okay. It says when we're sitting at home, we're, we're supposed to be diligently teaching them. Or in other words, discipling them. When we're out and about, same thing. From the moment that we wake up to the moment that we lay our head on our pillow to sleep, we are to be discipling them. Our discipleship is to be visible in all that we do. And it says this in, in verses 8 and 9 that there like to be signs on our hands or a sign in between our eyes. And as we leave our house, we're supposed to remind ourselves of it. Even as we're out, we're supposed to remind ourselves. Man, that's a huge responsibility. But maybe for some of us, we're not able to carry it over into today. So let me, let me give you a couple of examples of what discipling our kids today will look like. Okay? Discipling our kids at home. What that means is this. We have an intentional time where we're sitting with them. And we're being intentional about the conversations that we're having. Now, I know that society has kind of shifted and not many families really sit down at a dinner table and eat all together anymore. And that's okay. But how often do we make time, intentional time, not just with our children, maybe our grandchildren, maybe our nephew, our niece, and we ask them, hey, what's God doing in your life? Or if they're in junior high and you know that they're not going to respond, you can just start sharing about what God is doing in your life. Or maybe it looks like this. As we're driving around, maybe not so much these days, we're driving to soccer practice, we're driving to baseball practice and basketball practice, and there's that one parent that you really don't like, but you never say anything in front of them, but when you're in the car and you're Arriving there, they're like, oh, there's that so-and-so. We're discipling our children. We're teaching them that it's okay to talk about people when you're not in front of them, but when you're in front of them, you just treat them politely. Give them respect in front of them, but behind their backs when they can't hear, you can say whatever you want. Or maybe for some of us, we're an aggressive driver. We remember the days of aloha on the streets. Now, this island has 1.4 million people. And you're sick and tired of that traffic. And so, when they cut you off, or when they're like riding your butt, you start to just let the flesh come out. And your kids are in the back. They're watching. They're listening. You see, we're discipling our kids all the time. I remember growing up, my grandma used to always be on the phone. She would talk with her friends on the phone. It would start off with like, oh, how was church? And then it would end up like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about what she was doing? Did you see what she was wearing? 
My grandma wasn't trying to teach me something in that moment, but she didn't realize that she was. You see, we're discipling all the time. And so we have to be very aware of the things that we say, the things that we do. But you see, that's not enough. What we need is we need Jesus to be leading our every action, our every word, our every thought. Because when we are being discipled by the the Lord of our life, Jesus Christ, then everything will flow naturally. Discipleship is not just about showing our kids how to be moral. But it's interesting that the sociologists, they coined this term moralistic therapeutic deism. Because the first word is this, moralistic. We, in our generation, we have grown into being parents, teaching our kids, you just need to be good. You just need to look a certain way. You need to act a certain way. And we've taught them that is higher than being obedient to Jesus. You see, discipleship is not just about showing our kids how moral we can be as mom and dad. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. Our discipleship cannot just end at morality. When we fail to understand biblical discipleship, then we will raise our children just to be moral people. But this is a problem, and let me tell you why. You know, I think it's been a month now where, you know, my wife and I were standing up here, and some of you guys saw my two kids. The little one, he's, I'm not going to use the word, but he's, you know, he's a handful. But recently, what's been happening in our household is that I've been catching him lying. And the funny thing is this. You know, my wife and I, we didn't sit at home and then open a book and say, okay, kids, we're going to teach you about how to be the most effective liar. And this is how it's going to work. We didn't do that. We never taught them about lying. But for some odd reason, this little devil, (laughs) he somehow has learned like, oh, if if dad sounds upset, I'm not going to tell him what I really did. I'm going to tell him what he wants to hear. Niall, did you do that? No. Puts on this little cute face. No, I didn't do it. He did it. You see, I can teach my kids how to be moral. But if they never meet Jesus, they will just grow up to be good liars. They're going to be good at hiding or, or preventing themselves from being caught in lying or stealing or whatever it may be. And the reason is that it's not because I taught them how to lie, but it's because they are sinners. My children and myself and everyone here, we're all sinners. We are all broken So that's why we don't need to go to school for someone to teach us how to be a bad person. 
And that is the very reason why morality does not cut it. I'm sure you guys know someone like this in your life where they're not a Christian, but you know that they are the nicest person in the world. You're like, you, as, you, as you interact with them, you're like, man, I think this person has to be a Christian. And you find out they're not. They're just a really moral person. And here's the reality. We don't need Jesus if our aim is to simply be moral. We don't need Jesus if our aim is just to be moral. And that's the reason why moralistic therapeutic deism is an epidemic. And we are responsible for it. Because I'm pretty sure that I want to be the, the biggest voice in my children's lives. Like many of you guys. As you're raising your children or as you have raised your children, you want to be the voice that speaks truth into their lives. I'm not saying that if we do all the right things and our kids will turn out this perfect way. No. God has to take a hold of their heart, but we have to do our part in discipling them in the biblical, gospel-centered way. Moralistic therapeutic deism, it doesn't address sin. It just focuses on you just be a good person. As long as your life is good, happy, you don't need to worry about sin. But we know that their lives will never be transformed by the gospel because Jesus addresses sin. That's the very reason why he came. That's the very reason why we, our, our faith is represented by the cross. Because he bore our sins. You see, our children need parents who are discipling them to be like Jesus, not to be moral people, not to be people that are living for a comfortable life. Not to just believe in a God that's distant, that we can just call on like a genie whenever we need. This brings me to my second point, which is this. We must be a disciple of Jesus. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I went backwards in, in looking at the text. And the reason why is because I felt like if I ended with the last part, then many of us would leave this place just taking home good parenting principles. Okay, this is how I should raise my children. And so I'm just going to go and do it. But I don't want us to make that mistake because that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. And that's not the point of what Moses was telling the people of Israel. We must be a disciple of Jesus before we can disciple others to be like Jesus. I grew up in a household where my mom was a believer and my dad was not. My dad is a nice guy. A lot of good qualities and traits that I got from him. But one thing that I know for sure is that his faith that he modeled for me was very surface level. And I could see right through it. 
Because his life was not transformed by the very prayers that he would pray on Sunday mornings. He, he, he was even a deacon. But I saw that when he was at home, his life did not reflect that of a deacon. And even at that age that I was at, I didn't know what a deacon was. But I just knew they were in a position of having this title within the church. We have to be disciples of Jesus before we start to expect our children to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so when we read this text where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What, what Moses is telling these people is it's not a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, Israelites, you know, I think you guys should do this because it's going to be good for your life. And, you know, you guys will have a prosperous life. But he's actually telling them a command. It's a command. And the original audience, they understood this. Mo Moses was giving them a command. And we have to understand it in the same way. I would even say it like this. I'm not trying to change the words of the Bible, but if I were to insert my name in there, hear, Phil, the Lord, your God, is one. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Keep his commands on your heart. Phil, teach them diligently. You see, this is a command to every single one of us, whether we are a parent or not. Whether you're single or you plan to have kids in the future or not, it doesn't matter. This is a command to every single person. And so as these, the Israelites heard these words, hear, O Israel, the Shema, the people of Israel heard those words and they said, okay, whatever is about to follow is very important. I need to pay attention. And so they would listen. And you know what I found, find is very interesting? The fact that as the Israelites' life unfolds, they enter into this period of their life where they're always searching after this other God. Whether it be the foreign gods or whether it be these idols that they make, they're looking for something else to worship. So I don't think it's a coincidence that God uses Moses to tell them, hey, listen up. This is very important for you. You need to worship me and only me. You need to love me with all that you have. And as you begin to live that out in your life, you need to teach this to your children all the time. Some of us, we, we think that this doesn't apply to us. We think, oh, I don't have any idols. But if we're honest with ourselves, we probably do. For some of us, it may be our material possessions. We just love those new things. For some of us, it's our child's success or their academic success, the college that they get into, or in Hawaii, maybe it's the private school that they get into. For others, it may be our careers. 
Maybe we're done with our careers. Maybe for us it's the, the praise of others. And for others, it might be living a life of comfort or having control of everything in our lives. Maybe some of those things are the idols that we have set up in our lives. And God's word is telling us we can't have anything else. It's got to be him and only him. The reason why this is important and God makes it very clear is that if we have idols in our lives, these idols will infiltrate into our discipleship, into our disciple making. That's why when I say that our kids will see through us, is that if we have other things that we're worshiping, or even if they're at the same level as God in our lives, they're going to be able to see it. They're going to be able to know this is what is important to mom and dad. This is a command that Moses gives to the people of Israel. But let's be, let's be honest. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Some of us, even at hearing the word command, we're like, nope, that's not me. I'm not going to listen. We live in a society where we don't like to be told what to do. But the reality is that as Christians, as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we hold, we live by the standard where we listen and we obey the commands of God. The Shema. God is telling us that we worship him and only him. And that we were to love him with all that we have. Let me tell you what happens when we try to fake living this life of being a Christian. Where when we listen to the commands of God, if it doesn't bring a delight into our heart, but it brings a burden, it's going to show to our children. Oh, church is not important. It's okay if we miss church. They're going to know. We don't have to tell them. They will know. So what I'm saying is this. When we have a proper relationship with God, his commands are not a burden to us, but it becomes a delight. It's something that we long to do. It's something that we know that is so good for us that we say, God, I submit to you. Because I love you with all of my heart, soul, and strength, I will obey. And when our children begin to see that in our lives, they're going to say, okay, something's up. This faith that my mom and dad have, something is different. I want to know more. And so, in order for our the commands of God to become a delight in our lives, it comes from the foundation. It comes from a proper relationship with God. And that's why, that's the first thing that Moses says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He's saying you should only have one God and you should only worship one God. God. 
The basis of our discipleship starts with a proper relationship with God. What does our relationship with God look like? Because that's going to inform the discipleship that's happening in our lives. This is where it addresses the deism part of moralistic therapeutic deism. God is not and cannot be a distant divine being that only becomes a part of our lives when we need him. If that's our reality, then those are the disciples that we will produce. Have you ever loved something with all that you have? What did that look like? I'm just going to assume that it probably meant that we devoted a lot of our time, a lot of our money or our resources, and a lot of our energy. And that shows what we love with all that we have. Now, when we take that same idea and when we apply it to God, can we say, yeah, I love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. My time, my money, my resources, my energy, it's devoted to him. It's a delight to do it. It's not me dragging my feet like, oh, Pastor Matt asked me to do this next step thing again. But it's, Oh, there's an opportunity to serve the community. There's an opportunity to love others. I want to be a part of it. I want to be able to go there and represent what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And we share it with them. We have to understand that loving God with all of our heart, soul, and strength is not just having an emotional connection to him. I think Pastor Matt made this very clear in the, the James series that we just wrapped up last week. Right? It's not just about having this feeling, but true faith is a tested faith. And a tested faith is going to produce works of love and mercy. Leads to righteousness. And so in the same way, when we say that we are believing and trusting in God is going to lead to our lives being transformed, our lives being changed. I want to believe that most parents in here love their children. And we understand that loving our children is more than just telling them or showing, showing them some type of emotion. Like if my son woke up this morning and told me, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. My stomach's hurting. And if I knelt down and I looked him straight in the eye, I said, son, I love you. You're so hungry. Okay. And I got up and walked away. He'd be really confused. He's like, what's going on? Okay, I understood that you love me, but I said I'm hungry. You see, we know that this this. Allegiance to God is not just our words or our feelings being given to him. But there's an action that needs to follow. There's a transformation in our life that needs to happen. 
Some of us, we love our kids a little too much. And I know that this is dangerous territory because nobody likes to tell, likes to be told, oh, this is how you should raise your children. But I'll just point out this. The Bible doesn't tell us love the Lord or love your children with all of your heart, soul, and strength. It doesn't even say love your spouse, spouse with all of your heart, soul, and strength. But it says Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Let me tell you why this is important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love our children, that we shouldn't love our spouses. But what I am saying is this. When we have a proper love for God and that becomes the foundation for our lives, then loving our spouse, loving our children will naturally happen. That means that in our careers, in our workplaces, we will do the best that we can. Not because we're trying to be, look good to our boss, but it's because we understand our purpose. That in everything that we do, we bring glory to God. So that's why I'm saying our discipleship is based on our proper relationship with God. It's not about us, but it's about God and what he's done. So let me wrap it up with this, okay? We are living in a spiritual epidemic right now. And I'm not preaching at you guys. I don't want you guys to interpret it like that. This is something that I hold dear to my heart as well. As a parent, I understand the huge responsibility that lies upon me. And even as a pastor, I don't expect the church to do the job of of what I need to do. And we have to understand this, that discipleship starts in the home. Discipleship starts with me. I remember when I was doing youth ministry, some of these students would come to me Sunday after Sunday and they would say, Pastor Phil, like, you know, I remember what you said last week. And I went home and I'm confused because my parents are living a completely different life. There's only so much that I can do. Our job as a church is to come alongside of you to equip you, to provide you with resources, to do everything that we can so that we can help to disciple. But don't think that it's the church's responsibility or the youth leader's responsibility. We would never do that. So what I am saying is this, we are here. We're, we're trying to do things right. And even today we launched kids worship. This is a starting point. We have an online kids worship. We know a lot of parents are uncomfortable bringing their kids to church. That's totally understandable. But we want to provide a place where it's not just you drop them off at kids church and then, okay, all good. But we want to have this relationship where the kids and the parents are learning the same thing. And so that as parents, we can go home or on the car ride or at lunch, we can sit down with our kids and say, hey, 
Did you learn about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength? What does that mean for you? And then maybe as parents, we can sit down and share and have more intentional conversations because we understand that that lunch is not just a lunch, but it's a time of discipling our children. We have a very huge responsibility. But I want to wrap it up with this, okay? Whether we have been a Christian for years or whether we don't know who Jesus is at all, the most important thing is this. We have to enter into a relationship. We have to know who this Jesus is. It can't just be something that's in our head. We can't just have all the right answers. We have to know that the things that we know, it connects and it's working in our lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And it's creating us this devotion to him. There needs to be the emotion, but also the action the life change, the thought life changes. If there's anyone here or watching online and you don't know who Jesus is, let me just share with you guys very briefly and we're going to wrap it up. Jesus is God. Jesus came, left heaven as God to come to this earth, fully God, fully man. And because of our sinful nature, because we were disconnected from God because of our sin, he knew that there was no way that we could come before him. And so he says, I'm sending my son to die on the cross for the sins of this world. If anyone would acknowledge me, Jesus, repent of their sins and believe in him, they will be saved. But you know what? It doesn't end there. That's why we celebrate Easter. The grave is now empty. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, but he resurrected because that symbolizes for us that our life is not done, but he's defeated death and he's given us a new life so that we can live with a purpose in this world, so that we can live our every single day discipling our children, going into our workplace and discipling our coworkers or the people under us, whatever it takes, even as we're driving on the streets to be a representative of Christ because of what Jesus has done in our life. I believe that if we begin to live a life of truly following Jesus, being discipled by him, our kids are going to see it. We're not going to be able to stop talking about what God has done in our lives and we're going we're to have conversations about it. We're going to be on the phone about it. We're going to be texting people. It's going to be on our social media. But most importantly, I believe that our families will be impacted by it. We can't expect our children to know who Jesus is if we aren't doing our part, our job 
to know him first and to teach about who he is. So anyone watching, I encourage you, know and believe in this Jesus that died for your sins, that calls you child, son, daughter, daughter, 